Good morning. We are grateful that you are here. Uh, we are thankful to be here. Uh, we're grateful you found your way uh, to Ivy Creek today, uh, even if it was a bit more challenging. I had one person come in and said, we've been to South Carolina to get here. And so I understand that it, uh, it's, the, it's the small things that we take for granted uh, and uh, that we, we assume that, that there's not going to be power lines on roads. And, but we are grateful you're here. We're grateful for the privilege to be with you and to share from God's Word. Pastor Craig is, uh, and his family are completing their vacation, and he will be back with us next week. And uh, I know that you are thrilled about that and excited. Uh, I can promise you that I am. And I look very forward to uh, him being back, but we are thankful uh, for the time that he has had away with his family uh, and uh, their uh, time to be refreshed and to enjoy one another. So uh, we do pray for them and for their safety as they come back. Uh, this morning, I ask you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 2. Uh, if you have uh, attended one of our Stepping Into the Waters, you have heard our mission statement. Uh, if you have not attended one of the Stepping Into the Waters, then please indulge me for a brief infomercial as I tell you about the one we'll be hosting on uh, August the 15th. And that Stepping Into the Waters luncheon is for those who are new to Ivy Creek. Maybe you're a new member and haven't attended one, or maybe today's your first service and first time worshiping with us. This luncheon is for you, and I hope you'll put it on your calendar for August 15th and that you will join us for it. It'll be following the 11 o'clock service. We have about four of these a year, and they are a great time for us to connect with those that are new to Ivy Creek, but also for those who are new to Ivy Creek to hear about the vision of Ivy Creek and hear what God's doing to meet the entire staff, meet our ministry leaders. Uh, it's a very fruitful uh, time uh, that we have following the 11 o'clock service. We have you fed informed and out by two o'clock. So uh, I hope that you will put that on your calendar for August 15th uh, if you have not attended one of those and there'll be much more information coming and information about how to get registered and signed up for that. But if you have been to one of those luncheons, you have heard our mission statement. And our mission statement was birthed out of a sermon that Pastor Craig preached uh, while he was working on his doctoral project and it was Philippians, it was a sermon series through the book of Philippians. And that mission statement is, we are a you-all, gospel-first, servant-hearted family of believers who want our lives to count for the glory of God. Our time this morning is going to be spent uh, looking into God's Word and is going to be driven by the last part of that mission statement. Those who want our lives to count for the glory of God. Now, I don't know that anyone uh, sets out and plans for their life to not matter. I, I don't know that that's someone's goal, that they start out and say, I, I want to do all I can that my life don't, doesn't count for anything, doesn't matter to anyone. Uh, and I don't know that any believer starts out and says, I don't want my life to count for God's glory. Uh, I just don't believe that that is, uh, is what our desire is when we're uh, first birthed into the family and when we come to know Christ and we have that 
uh, that new believer's zeal and excitement, I don't think we say, well, I, I want this feeling to fade and I want my, uh, my devotion and my commitment to Christ to fade and I, I don't want my life to count for His glory. What I know, though, is that if we do want our lives to count and we want to benefit others and to be benefited by others, we must continually do certain intentional things. For some this morning, this is going to be a reminder. Uh, it's going to be a motivation to continue in the good work that you're doing. To not lose heart, not lose faith. But now for others, our words today are going to be somewhat of a wake-up call. It's going to be a call to action. A call to get focused on what matters. I pray that these words will gain your attention today. Donald McCullough, author, wrote a book uh, entitled Losing the American Dream. And in that book, he tells a story about a cat. And that cat's Mad Morris. Now, before we get to learn about Morris, I, I do not want y'all to think I did not do this to this cat, okay? This is somebody else's story. It's their experience. Uh, now, I've never met a cat that likes me, okay? I've only got a dog at home that belongs to my family, and it don't like me either, okay? <laughs> so, uh, but, you know, this is not, I do not propose, and for our children that are in here, I do not propose that this is how you treat a cat uh, at all. But uh, I, I believe for our purposes this morning, it's very appropriate for us to learn from Mad Morris's experience at the veterinarian office. Donald, while he was in seminary, worked at a vet's office, and he was assistant there. And this particular day, this proud owner of Morris brought their cat in. And Donald had had problems with cats before. He and I do have that in common. And they, he had had, uh, experience, uh, had challenges with them, but this particular cat was terribly problematic. And it was very obvious to him when they brought the cat in. cat didn't want to go to him. Claws were out, hissing. He finally got it in a cage for getting in the cage. He definitely blamed Donald for, uh, for his confinement. And every time he'd walk by, he got a, a hiss and a, and a claw uh, swipe. And it was a few minutes that the vet said, Donald, I need you to bring Morris in for exam. And he said, I fought with that cat and said he was trying to claw my eyes out and get any part of me that he could reach. He said, about that time I heard the old vet that would oftentimes come by the office had come in. And he, uh, he said, Donald, are you having any problem? He said, yes, sir, I am. He said, well, I think I can help you a little bit. He said, I'll take any help I can get at this point. He said, go find me a lightweight rope. He said, sir, I can do that. He said, so I went and got him a rope and handed it to him. He said, he immediately took that rope and tied a lasso on the end of it. He said, now, son, you open that door, and as soon as you open it, you get out of the way. 
He said, I opened that. He said, that old vet took that lasso and said, like a wily cowboy, just lassoed that cat there in that cage. And he said he had that cat on the end of that rope, and he pulled him out, and he held him suspended between the end of that rope and the ground. And he said, in that moment of rapid approach to death, that cat became suddenly subdued during that time. He said it was amazing how much he calmed as the cat contemplated his future death and impending death. He said, and not to cut short his time for reflection and repentance, he said he allowed him to, stand, uh, to hang there unrescued for quite a moment. He said, the doc looked over at me and said, Don, Don, you must first get the patient's attention before you can examine it. So this morning, our Heavenly Father, we're going to look that sometimes He uses a variety of events, circumstances, and people. And even a Sunday morning message from a pinch hitter to get our attention. So as we now look at our passage, for us to get the best understanding of this passage, we need to have an understanding of what Paul's situation and what his condition was as he is writing this letter to Timothy. Timothy, his spiritual son in the faith, he is writing this letter from a prison. It's really more like a dungeon where Paul is being uh, imprisoned in Rome. He's been placed there by Nero, the wicked Roman persecutor of Christians. And as Paul writes earlier in 2 Timothy, that everyone has deserted him. Paul longs to see Timothy one last time, but he knows that that may not be possible. In this letter, he gives Timothy what is essentially his deathbed instructions. We don't know exactly how long Paul lived after this letter was written. However, we know that this is the last recorded letter that Paul has written. It is possible that Nero had Paul executed even before this letter reached Timothy. But we can't know that for sure. What we can know is that these words are still timely and important for us as we face struggles, challenges, discouragement, and even persecution. The gospel of Jesus Christ that has been peddled and pushed by some for many years in America can be seen as weak and filled with partial truths. The gospel that says, come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and everything will be all better. Come to Jesus and you'll be successful. Life will be easier. God will give you all that you ask for. If that's your view of what Christian life and faith in Christ is, prepare for your attention to be gotten. Because that is not Paul's life example, nor his, ministry, his message for Timothy and for us today. 
As Chuck Swindoll said, the Christian life should not be viewed as a playground, but rather it should be viewed as stepping on to a battlefield. It can be a rough and rugged road. With that as our context for this passage, let's take and read the words of Paul to his spiritual son, Timothy. From 2 Timothy chapter 2, beginning with verse 1, we're going to read through verse 10. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, and the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engages in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel, for which I suffer trouble as an evildoer, even to the point of chains. But the word of God is not chained. Therefore, I endure all things for the sake of the elect, that they also may obtain the salvation which is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Please join me as we pray. Heavenly Father, come to you this morning and we are grateful for your word. We're grateful for a time to examine it and to look into it. And Father, for your spirit to examine our hearts and challenge us to direct us and guide us. And I pray that you would push out distractions. And Father, I would pray that you would push out anything that would compete for our attention and our time over these next few minutes. And Father, I pray that we could Focus solely on what you would desire to say to us. Father, we thank you for your spirit that speaks to our spirits. Father, that directs us, convicts us, and challenges us. Father, I pray for humble hearts. Father, I pray for our hearts to be obedient before you. And then, Father, I pray for boldness that we would respond to your call for obedience. We pray this. In Christ's name, amen. Paul's charge to Timothy is to be strong. It's over and over. A reoccurring message in the Scripture. Moses' first, uh, Moses' final instruction to Joshua includes four times that he tells Joshua, be strong and courageous. In Ephesians 6.10, Paul tells the church at Ephesus to be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. This is the introduction to Paul as Paul begins to tell them to put on the full armor of God. In this passage, Paul uses four illustrations or metaphors to remind Timothy of what his life should be focused on so that he can be strong. The first one that we will look at is that of a teacher, but not just any teacher. It's a duplicating teacher. A duplicating teacher is a multiplying teacher, one who teaches others so they 
can also teach. This is, uh, this is when you pour yourself, you invest yourself into someone else so that they can pour into someone else also. Paul tells Timothy, the things that you have heard from me and trust, commit, deposit, and teach these to others who will be faithful to teach others also. This is the heart of discipleship. This is the life and leadership that Christ modeled. And it is vital for fruitful, healthy, dynamic, gospel-first, Christ-proclaiming, spirit-equipping churches to be doing over and over and over. Faithful teachers, entrusting, committing, depositing into others who have learned from their experiences, depositing that into the next person who can also teach, lead, and mentor the next one. A great example of this is the life of Joshua. Just as we mentioned earlier, Moses commanded him, be strong and courageous. Those four times, the first one being at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, the other three at the start of the book of Joshua, telling this new young leader of the nation of Israel to be strong and courageous in all that he faced. Ten short chapters later, in chapter 10, verse 25 of Joshua, Joshua we hear Joshua passing that same lesson on to the nation of Israel as he says to them, Fear not, nor be dismayed. Be strong and of good courage. Moses instructed Joshua. He received it, and then he passed it on until ultimately it comes to the Apostle Paul. And the Apostle Paul received the command to be strong, and now he passed it on to the churches that he wrote letters to and that he preached to, and now we read those words that he has passed on to Timothy and have been passed on to generation after generation of Christ's followers. Duplicating teachers multiply teaching and invest in others over and over that they too can invest. The first time that I remember reading this passage, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 2, I was in college, been invited by my brother who was a student at Georgia Tech. Uh, I was not at Georgia Tech. They did not have any need for my services there at all. Uh, I, uh, but I did know how to get there, and so I would drive down once a week and I would go down to Atlanta, and uh, he had invited me to be a part of a discipleship group with some, of, uh, some guys from, um, from his little church that he was attending down there, First Baptist Church of Atlanta. And he would uh, invite me to come down to that, uh, that Bible study group, uh, or discipleship group. There was four of us in there. And this verse was the guiding principle for this discipleship course of, that you are invested in and you learn that you then can be faithful in taking and leading and mentoring and discipling someone else. And that principle stuck with me. It was, it was very transformative 
for me as a young college student. And uh, it, it was, uh, became a, a very much a foundation for me. But I would come to learn that this is not easy stuff. Discipleship is hard work, and it takes dedication, discipline, and diligence. But it is the most effective way for Christians to continue in a growing and fruitful relationship with Christ. Just this week, I was uh, reading some different articles, and I ran across an article on uh, a website that I uh, will scan uh, periodically. It's called the Gospel Coalition website. And there, there was an article that caught my attention. Uh, and the title of it was The Benefits of Intergenerational Relationships. And uh, so I thought, I need to read this. We uh, talk a lot about intergenerational relationships and intergenerational worship and the benefits of that. That's very near to Will's heart. And you see it practiced uh, on this platform and in the choir, and we have seen great benefits of the church as uh, middle schoolers sit beside those who are even uh, in, uh, maybe in retirement or a different phase, and the benefit of their lives rubbing up against one another and being influenced by one another. That's a passion for Pastor Craig, and is something that's incredibly uh, important to him. So I, I wanted to read this article and see what it had to say. And it used as its example, David and Jonathan. And it brought out something that I had not contemplated. And to be candid, I did not uh, research this. Uh, but it said that uh, Jonathan was some 30 years older than David. And that was their basis for talking about how important intergenerational, worship, uh, intergenerational relationships were. And I began to think about through Scripture how this had been practiced out we already talked about Moses and Joshua and the impact that Moses had on Joshua's life. We were talking about specifically Timothy and Paul and how Paul impacted Timothy's life. Think about Elijah and Elisha. All of those are ex excellent biblical examples of the benefit of relationships that span multiple generations. I would challenge each of you to examine who you are investing in and who you are allowing to invest in you, especially across generational lines. I count it as one of God's great blessings in my life to have benefited from the wisdom, the encouragement, training, and teaching, and the prayers of so many who have experienced more and are farther down life's journey than I am. I am still benefiting from those relationships even today. Uh, I have three guys that most weeks, once a week for breakfast that I meet with, and they are a great encouragement to me. They pour into my life. They challenge me. They ask me hard questions. And my friends, I need that. I benefit from that. And my challenge to you is that you need that, and you would benefit from that even if you don't know that or realize that yet. We all need someone. We need someone who is willing and has earned the right to ask us difficult questions. Ask us, how is our daily devotion time going? How is our Bible reading? 
How's our prayer time? How's our relationship with our children, our family? How's our relationship with our spouse? How are we conducting ourselves when nobody's looking? How's our thought life? Is the person that people see visibly, is that really who you are? We all need folks that are willing to do that and have earned the right to do that in our lives. So as we come to this passage, Paul challenges Timothy to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. He then gives him three examples of strength. The first one is the devoted soldier. A good soldier is a devoted soldier and dedicated to the service of Christ. Enduring hardships, the work of a soldier is truly hard. As I said earlier, this is very different from the gospel that we hear peddled and proclaimed by many in certain circles. But the true gospel of Christ calls you to deny yourself, take up your cross, and to follow Christ. But in addition to enduring hardship as a devoted soldier, they must be willing to push out and to avoid distractions and to serve with singular focus. The same is true for you as a follower of Christ. A true disciple does not get entangled in secondary priorities that distract from the primary priorities of making much of Jesus Christ and growing in a deep and fruitful relationship, a multiplying relationship with Christ. Paul tells Timothy in verse 4, no one entangles engaged in a war, entangles himself with the affairs of this life. A good soldier is dedicated and devoted to the mission and nothing will be allowed to distract or deter them from that goal. Also, a good soldier is subordinate and obedient to his commanding officer. All military is built on the principle and the foundation of chain of command. The life of a soldier is one of hardship, sacrifice, devotion, and difficulty. And a soldier must be willing to endure those terribly hard conditions. As many of you know, I, unlike Pastor Craig, never served in the military. But my dad did. And much of what I know about the military, I learned from stories from him. One of my favorite stories about the military is uh, he told about when he was drafted and they left from Gainesville. There was a, uh, a number of young men that were in that group. Some were drafted and some had enlisted. And they were shipped to Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, where they would begin their basic training. And they had been, after the first week, engaged in a great amount of PT, of physical training, 
and they had been instructed in how little they knew and how ignorant they were and how much they had to learn, and they had been instructed in the finer points of uh, military life. Well, one of those young men who had enlisted in, from Gainesville after the first week told my dad, said, there's an enlistment officer back in Gainesville that when they let me out of here, I'm going to go talk to him because the army that I am experiencing is not the one that they told me that I was going to be in. Well, sometimes in the Christian life, we encounter that. But a good soldier, a good soldier's goal is to please his commanding officer. Your goal should be to please the Lord who has enlisted you into his army. So the first example is being that of being a good soldier, a devoted and dedicated soldier. The next example that Paul gives us is that of a disciplined athlete. A disciplined athlete is one who follows the rules. For any competition, there is a set of standards that must be kept if you're not to be disqualified. Wow. What an issue we have today in athletics, but also in everyday life. The sentiment, if you're not cheating, you're not trying hard enough, is very commonplace, not only in sports, but in everyday life and even in business. Paul encouraged the church at Corinth to compete in such a way as to win the crown and to gain the prize. He tells them that in 1 Corinthians 9.24. But it matters how we compete. Paul tells Timothy that he will forfeit the prize and the reward if he does not compete according to the rules. My friends, the end does not justify the means. It is impossible for us to remember all of the great athletes in the last 20 years who have brought shame on themselves, their families, their teams, their, even their countries, by supplementing and substituting hard work with vitamin S, also known as steroids. But even more sad is the pastors and ministry leaders who have disqualified themselves by deciding that they are above the rules and that the rules don't apply to them so that they took advantage of individuals in their care and their charge and their service. Paul's last words to Timothy include the challenge that the rules matter. And if you do not follow those rules, you will disqualify yourself. This should be sobering and even jolting to us. If you want your life to count for the glory of God, rules, and specifically God's rules and God's standards, they better matter to you. The next example is a diligent farmer. The diligent farmer is a hardworking farmer. My friends, farming is very hard work. 
Much like the life of a soldier and of an athlete, there is much sacrifice, pain, toil, and even struggle. However, the soldier looks forward to commendations, promotions, medals, and ultimately the victory of the battle. The athlete is propelled forward by the roar of the crowd, by the prize of the trophy. But for the diligent farmer, there's no crowd, there's no crown, there's no medal. There's no trophy to be won. It is the mundane, day in, day out, toll and struggle to produce a harvest. I already told you, I don't know an enormous amount about what it means to be a soldier. Or frankly, even an athlete, especially not a high-level athlete. I'm not sure that church softball and church basketball qualifies for that, but I do know something about the life of a farmer. Having grown up on a family farm, it is a life of consistency. It is a 24-7 job. It has to be the full focus of your life. Many farming jobs are dirty, hard, and unappealing work. It's repetitive work, the same thing, day after day. But when the farmer is faithful, day in and day out, he will see the reward and ultimately experience the harvest. And he is the first one who enjoys in that harvest. There's a great sense of satisfaction when you're standing in a field at the end of the day and you look across it as the sun is beginning to set, all the harvest is out of the field and it's in the barn. You have a great sense of accomplishment and satisfaction of being able to see that hard, tiring work produce a crop. Much the same when you sit down to a table to enjoy a meal and realize that all that you are eating has been grown from your ground, from your land. There's a sense of accomplishment, a sense of satisfaction from that. So the lesson is that for your life to count for God and His glory, you must be like the diligent, hardworking farmer who day by day continues to dig into the rich soil of God's Word, to search out and dig out the weeds of sin in your heart, and to water and fertilize your faith that it can grow stronger and produce a harvest that counts. So Paul's instruction to be strong and to be a duplicating teacher who passes on God's instruction is illustrated by the example of the good soldier the rule-keeping athlete, the hard-working farmer. And then, in verses 7 and 8, Paul tells Timothy to think and remember. He tells him to think about all that Paul has told him and that the Lord will give him understanding and to remember the resurrection of Christ. And that brings us to our final point on your outline that we have, and that is the divine Redeemer. Paul charged 
uh, charge for Timothy to remember Jesus Christ is the key to Timothy's strength. Paul did not tell him to be strong. He told him to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Christ Jesus, who was raised from the dead, it was because of Christ that Paul suffered terribly and and was in chains. But even as Paul was in chains, he was the word of God was not chained. So how could a young, timid Timothy be a strong leader and have a faithful multiplying ministry? Timothy must remember and trust continually in Jesus Christ, his divine Redeemer. Now as we come and we conclude with our sermon in a sentence, a life that counts for eternity and for the glory of God is centered on Christ and dedicated to doing the hard work of a disciple by allowing others to invest in you that you can invest in others. This morning, we must ask certain questions of ourselves. Just as is asked every Sunday from this pulpit, and should be asked from all pulpits, we must be confronted with what is the condition of our souls and what is our eternal destination. The question of, have I committed my life to Jesus Christ? Have I accepted Him as Lord and Savior? Do I know Him as my Redeemer? And do I know Him as my Lord. The Christ who was condemned falsely, who died a brutal death, who took your punishment, took your sins, have you accepted Him as Lord and Savior? Do you share in His victory? That is the first question that we must continually be confronted with. But if you can answer in the affirmative on that. And that you know that you are a child of God, that you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that you are a follower of Jesus. Then my question to you is where are you on the battlefield? Where are you on the rough and rugged road? Are you being equipped? Are you putting yourself in a place, in a position where daily you can be made more like Christ? Where you can be conformed to His image? Are you in a place where you can be discipled? Are you in a place to where your life counts more and more for the glory of God? This morning, for some of you, you must be confronted with the question of, why am I not in a small group Bible study? Why am I not in a place where I am looking into God's Word week after week with other believers where I can get to know folks in a closer 
way, in a more personal way, to where I can know how I can pray for them, be encouraged by them, how they can pray for me, how I can grow in my faith more and more. For some of you, that's the question that you must be confronted with. And God is calling you to attention, calling to get your attention this morning. For others of you, you need to seek out those one or two other folks for you to invest in, to pour into. Ladies, you need to find a couple other ladies to call over for tea once a week or for coffee or to go and get a, a bite with, to be able to share with, to pray with, to invest in. And then guys, even more so for us, because ladies, y'all do a lot better job of that naturally. Guys, we don't. We need to have those relationships where folks can ask us those hard questions, help to hold us accountable, hold us accountable to what we say that we believe, challenge us, and ask us, are you spending time in God's Word? Are you praying each day? Are you growing in your faith? When was the last time you shared Christ with someone? We need someone that has earned that right in our lives to ask us those questions. This is not easy stuff. But as we have learned, looking at the life of a soldier, life of an athlete, life of a farmer, those illustrations that Paul gave to Timothy, those are all examples of sacrifice, diligence, consistency, and hard work. If either of those three are going to gain the victory or the reward or the harvest. So today, I encourage you that you work to win the battle. I encourage you to be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus, that you can be a duplicating teacher. You can be a multiplying leader where God has planted you, where God has given you influence, and where He has given you opportunity. I pray that you take advantage of that. And I pray this morning that for the last few minutes that God has had the opportunity to get our attention. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is my prayer that your word today has truly gotten our attention. For those who need to put off and delay answering your call to follow them, to follow you, Father, I pray that you would give them the strength and the boldness to obey. And then, Father, for those who are on the journey of faith, Father, I pray that they would not go it alone, but, Father, that they would seek out others 
to encourage them and seek opportunities to be encouraged. Father, I pray that you would give us boldness in these next few minutes to obey your Spirit. And Father, as your Spirit continues to work within us and to confront us with the truth of your Word, Father, I pray that we would act on it. And Father, as a result of that, I pray that our lives would count for your glory and for your honor. And Father, I pray that your kingdom would be advanced because of the obedience of your people. In Christ's name, amen.